All right, welcome back everyone to another episode of Timeout Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And this is the first episode after the conclusion of the NBA season. We had a great finals and the Milwaukee Bucks are the NBA champions. So uh, just a quick overview of the finals, Hunter, and uh, what are your overall thoughts on the season? Yeah, uh, so, I mean, really, Giannis had an incredible stretch of games in the finals. He really proved he is one of the most dominant of all time and definitely a top player in this league. People are, you know, debating his status as possibly the best player. Uh, maybe that's a talk for another time, but he's definitely proven to everybody. That, like anybody who had any doubts about him is obviously now wrong. Uh, congrats to the Bucks, everybody on that team. Uh, it was great for the city, you know, a win after 50 years with, uh, not being in the finals, getting back there and finally bringing it home. Uh, also, yeah. just like congratulate the Suns like for getting to the finals. Like they did a great job. They overperformed and they just really had an incredible season as well. Uh, so both these teams, I think, did an incredible job. And I think they both have great futures, so they should be happy with where they are. 100%. Um, and I guess it is fitting that Giannis had 50 points in the closeout game to, you know, commemorate the first championship after 50 years in Milwaukee. Uh, but yeah, no, I definitely agree. It was, a, it was a good finals. Like, it was actually very entertaining. I think one of the most entertaining finals we've had in the, in the past decade or so, you know, it wasn't a complete blowout and all the games are competitive and feisty and just a pleasure to watch. And yeah, props to the Suns for putting on a great show. Congrats to the Milwaukee Bucks. And I just want to say it was, it was a great NBA season, you know, coming after like, the COVID weird bubble year. It was great to return to the stadiums and to slowly get the fans back. And you could really feel their presence as the playoffs uh, continued and more and more fans were allowed back in. And I think that, you know, we're only going to get closer to normal uh, at the beginning of next season. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited to see like full capacity stadiums from the start of the season. It'll be really exciting, especially with this crazy offseason. We're about to have a lot of changes coming to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot to look forward to there. Definitely. And uh, with that, I guess we can move on uh, because basketball, you know, never stops. So we're going to move on from the NBA to the Olympics. A lot of news going on. And I guess the first place to start is with Team USA, who is pretty much the biggest story of the Olympic basketball so far uh, as they lost their opener to France, um, but then they beat Iran later by 60. So sort of a mixed bag. Uh, what are your thoughts? Was it not? On... I just want to say, was it Australia? No, it was France. I remember was because it? I was like, dang, we really lost to Evan Fournier. Like, he oh, yes. like 28 points. Yeah, you're right. Because Rudy Gobert was there. Yes, my bad. Yeah, my yeah, bad. yeah. No worries. Um, so what are yes. your thoughts on this? Are you, are you worried at, USA, at the USA's chance for gold, or do you just sort of chalk this up for, uh, you know, like a warm-up game? You know, I don't chalk this up as a warm-up game because obviously you're in the Olympics at this point, but I really chalk up as a, like an eye-opener to this team, which is really like guys like Kevin Durant. He, he scored 10 points in the, the first game where they lost uh, to France. And th- this just – it's a wake-up call to all these all-stars and all these superstars who are supposed to step up, especially for like a USA – a loaded USA team with by far inferior competition. This was really like – hey, you need to step up and play to the level that you're expected to play to. Like, this, is, you're just being a, laugh, a laughing stock of an, uh, a USA team right now. 
So I think it was important for them to kind of lose this game, not because we wanted to in any sense of the word, but this, the chances to win gold aren't like gone. You know, it's, this is a wake up call. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that we saw that um, in the next game, you know, they definitely woke up against Iran. They looked fired up. They looked hungry. Um, and I think that's obviously reflected in the scoreline, you know, they won by 60 and the game was really never close. And I know Iran is far inferior competition than France, who has a lot of quality players, Rudy Gobert, as you said, Evan Fournier, and a bunch of other NBA players. But, like, France is not even, like, some could say that's not even the best team here. So Team USA is really going to have to step it up and, and, like, carry this type of play forward if they're going to want to play, if they're going to want to get the gold. Because there's a lot of solid squads here. Uh, you know, you obviously have your like powerhouses in like Spain, uh, Argentina is really good. Um, you know, Slovenia, we got to talk about Slovenia. They're 2-0 and right now, powered by uh, Luka Doncic, who dropped 48-11-5 and in the first game against Argentina. Um, what, what are you seeing from Slovenia and, and what do you think of uh, their chances? Yeah, I'm really excited about the Slovenia team. And, you know, all credit goes to Luka Doncic here. No fan of the NBA would even care but Slovenia for more for Luka Doncic he's the heart and soul of this team uh I mean he in his debut game scored 48 points and went 11 and 5 it was insane like this game 48 11 and 5 that's a crazy stat line especially uh for a with FIBA rules very different kind of rule set that he's playing with but this is something he's used to you know he's an international player so coming to the NBA, if anything, was more of an adjustment for him than playing with these rules. So this is kind of an advantage for him. And it's fun to see him playing in his natural state, you know? Yeah, especially since, you know, there's a quote from Luca a while back where he was like, oh, it's easier to score in the NBA than it is in Europe. And everyone sort of laughed at him, but I guess we're seeing, the, I guess we're seeing that, uh, that comment shine through, or shine true, rather as you know, we're seeing like all these NBA veterans, you know, sort of like looking a little lost out there sometimes. And Luca just looks at home. Yeah, Kevin said. Durant is averaging 10 points currently. So yeah, not, not a great look, not a great look, but I, I think this team USA team, I'm honestly glad that they lost their first game because if they come in and they just sort of play lackadaisical and, you know, coast and not really take this seriously, then they're going to lose it. They, they would lose a game when it really matters, you know, like in a metal game when they're, they're just sort of coasting and then a team comes out to play and, and really upsets them. So glad it was the first game, you know? Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you here. And what do you think the addition of the additions of Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Devin Booker to the squad? Cause obviously they weren't practicing whatsoever with this Olympic team because they're playing in the finals up until 18 hours before the first game was played. So how do you feel about that? Well, I think it's going to take a little bit for them to get acclimated. I think that, you know, the system that they run uh, with, under Greg Popovich, it shouldn't be too hard to just sort of slot them in and allow them to, to play in that system. And, I mean, these, these guys are like all-stars or borderline all-star, all-star players. So it's, it's going to really take no time for these players to you know get their feet underneath them uh find their shot and start having an immediate impact and you know they all provide some different things to this team drew holiday great two-way play he's going to lock up the other team's best player drew holiday is just going to be you know a certified scorer 
and Chris Middleton is going to provide a lot of buckets and shot making in the clutch. And that's going to like complement a lot of these players very nicely. And I think that as team USA continues to play and sort of find their stride, uh, I think that we're only going to get better and better. And it's going to, and I think we'll, we'll start by the end of the Olympics, the team USA will start to look like the team USA we all imagined it would be. Yeah. And just to add to your point about Drew Holiday, he was the leading scorer in the first game for the USA team when they played against France. So, I mean, it was a pretty easy fit right from the get-go. Definitely. And, um, you know, he, like, we also saw a similar impact in Milwaukee, you know, first year there, he looked like he'd been there for several years, just he, he had such great chemistry with the team. And it just seems like Drew Holiday is a guy who is not hard to play with. Yeah, definitely a glue guy. So moving on a little bit, still on Olympic news, but I just want to talk about something we we're talking about with Luca, which was like this soft NBA rules and like it being easier to score in the NBA. Uh, what do you think of the NBA implementing this rule change to reduce foul calls on non-basketball moves, more similar to the FIBA rules? I'm, I'm honestly a huge fan, you know, it just is going to provide for a more, um, it's, it's just going to provide for a more entertaining viewing experience. Nobody likes to see players do these herky-jerky moves when they're shooting the ball, draw some cheap, tacky foul, and then get two free throws and get rewarded for that. It just does not provide for entertaining basketball. So I'm really glad that the NBA is looking into this and is implementing new rules to try and prevent this. And I'm sure we're going to, it's going to take some time for certain players to adjust to these rules. I'm thinking about, you know, your Trey Youngs, your, your James Hardens, but you know, all players do that to a certain extent. Embiid does it. Jokic does it. LeBron does it to a certain extent. So it's going to take some time for players to adjust to these new rules, like with any rule change. But I think these rules are uh, put in for the better, you know? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think at the end of the day, the NBA is a business and they need to have a good fan viewing experience. And that's what they are targeting, obviously, with this. Because, I mean, aside from players getting annoyed with all these little petty foul calls, and, like, these are possibly game-changing calls when you get guys who maybe are a little more foul-prone. They're just committing these fouls. Or the refs are giving the fouls to the offense a little more easily because they know that these guys are foul-prone it could lead to some of these guys having to sit down early on the bench, like all-star level players. So this is definitely just better for the fans, better for the game. Like oh, there's going to be a lot of things here. That's just going to heighten the basketball experience, even though they still have a long way to go as far as how the refs are, you know, I guess refereeing today. hundred percent. And I think, like you said, I think it's a good first step, but you know, the NBA could still go further to make this a, a more, uh, just just a better viewing experience and a, a better entertainment package overall. Um, but, you know, we're recording this, uh, moving on, we're recording this on the day of the NBA draft. The draft, uh, like the late second round is actually happening right now. But, you know, a lot of surprises, a lot of action today. Um, I just want to get your just overall thoughts on the draft so far. Um, who do you think, ha- who, who are some surprises and uh, – who are some early winners and losers in your eyes? All right. So a lot of excitement here in this draft. You know, everybody's talking about how this is just such a deep draft. You got all sorts of, you know, different kinds of, of players. You have up until maybe your, your late teens, you can get a, a bunch of surprises here. Even up to the 20s, there's going to be some guys who are going to give solid production, maybe in their first year. Um, and I definitely think right off the bat, 
I just like to say one that most people might not be thinking, but Cameron Thomas for the Brooklyn Nets was drafted number 27. I think this is a huge steal for them. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him at all. Yeah, he's a really, he's a beast on the offensive end. Yeah, he's a beast on the offensive end. And he's like a kind of guy who's very confident in his own game, which is something you absolutely need coming into a team where you're playing with Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Uh, he's going to compliment them pretty well because I just think he has that attitude and he, he's a little older coming into this draft, which is something that the Brooklyn Nets were definitely looking for. And I think he'll be a solid addition to their backcourt bench because that, they definitely needed a little bit of depth there. Give some Kyrie some rest, James Harden some rest, especially after coming off a year where you're seeing both these guys had some injuries, maybe when they take it a little slow at first or even just lighten the load a little bit uh, so you know that they're ready for the playoffs. Definitely. That's, I, that's, that would be my first deal. I, I, I love that pick from, uh, from the Nets. And, you know, I mean, this is really where Cam Thomas was supposed to be in the draft, like late 20s. But I, I think Brooklyn is a great team for him, and I think he'll – He'll find a lot of um, he'll he'll really find his role off the bench. Uh, for for me, you know, the the beginning of the draft, you know, it started as we all really expected with Cade going number one, Jalen Green going number two, Evan Mobley going three, but then with the Raptors taking Scotty Barnes at four, that was a really surprising move for me because it looked like Jalen Suggs was the perfect pick for Toronto. You know, with Kyle Lowry going out. Uh, Jalen Suggs, proven guard, he could really fill that void right there and be a, a, a perfect addition to this team that's lacking that primary guard now. But then they take Scotty Barnes, who is basically uh, Draymond Green. He's a winning player, great on the defensive end, great court vision, excellent playmaker, but doesn't really have a shot or is not really that well-developed on the offensive end. But, you know, you look at Toronto's player development, and I think – if they could develop him, he could really develop into, I'm not saying he's going to be this good, but like he could develop like a Kawhi Leonard, you know, where he comes into the league sort of lacking the offense, but having all the defense and grow to become a very complete offensive player. And so the more, yeah, I, I mean, I was, Oh, just to, sorry. I was just gonna say something about Scotty, Scotty Barnes. When I was watching the interview, they gave him with Jalen Rose, they were comparing him a little bit more like Scotty Pippen which I think is, I guess, like, obviously, you know, who knows if he'll get to that level. That's a top 50 player. You know, you don't even want to compare a rookie to that kind of thing. But yeah. I feel like that might be a little more comparable than the Kawhi Leonard there. I mean, they're both sort of in the same vein, you know, like with their uh, – they're both excellent two-way players um, and both sort of similar play styles. Uh, I was just saying, yeah. like, he could have a similar development as a player, like in where he – sort of grows and, and gets an offensive skill set. And we know how good uh, Toronto's player development is. We've seen it with players like Chris Boucher, Pascal Siakam. We've seen these players really flourish and become really, really good NBA players because of the organization. Yeah, definitely. And I was going to say the other steal I thought in this draft, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, is Jalen Suggs at number five, just because he was expected to go at number four. So I just want to talk about this is a guy coming into the league He's going to be the glue for your team. He's going to be the leader, especially for this Magic team. This Magic team, this is exactly what they needed. I mean, a lot of teams need this kind of guy, but this is exactly what the Magic need. With a lot of the young guys, you have like Cole Anthony, uh, you have Isaac Bonga. Uh, sorry, wait, they have Isaac Bonga, right? 
Uh, I think he's in Washington over there. I I, I just know oh, he's in was... uh, Washington. Yes, but sorry, Mo Bamba. Oh my God. Yeah, Mo uh, Bamba. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's definitely a Bamba there. <laughs> uh, yeah, but with Mo Bamba, you have a lot of guys who are going to be potentially good NBA or great NBA players, but they need some direction. And I feel like this is like going to be a LaMelo ball type addition to a young team where it's like he'll have an immediate impact and become a general for these young players. That's interesting. I, I see. I definitely could see that. But for me, that pick was a little bit confusing because, yeah, he was the best player on the board at the time. But the fit is just a little bit questionable because you have Markel Fultz and he was having a breakout season uh, in, in 2020 before he got hurt. Um, and then you have Cole Anthony as well, the rookie last year, and he was having a, an excellent season too. So you, there's, I don't know where he's going to fit in on this team because you obviously are going to want him to start. So who's getting sidelined? Uh, you probably have Markel Fultz, unfortunately. I think we'll probably have to, this offseason, they'll be looking for deals for Mar- Markel Fultz most likely. I mean, if that's the case, then I think the pick makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm excited to see a Suggs-Anthony backcourt. And I think with guys, like you said, Mo Bamba, with Jonathan Isaac, I think Wendell Carter is now in, um, in, in Orlando. I think this is a really, really good young team. And for a team that was like really directionless last year, like we talked about them as a team in like the purgatory of the NBA, where they're always going to make the eighth seed and never going to get a good enough pick they've turned the ship around and they have a really, really bright future there in Orlando. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And just talking about the next pick, just going down this list here. uh, I was going to talk about Josh Giddy. He's from Australia, Melbourne, Australia, which Mm -hmm. is where Ben Simmons is from. And it's also where Andrew Bogut's from. And there's a few NBA players who've come out of there. LaMelo Ball did play professional basketball there before he came to the NBA. Uh, So you got some, strong I guess roots or some connections to the NBA there and I think he's just a really interesting prospect he's six eight and he's a point guard like this is something pretty rare and he is fairly athletic and he has a great shot with a 51 percent true shooting percentage so this is a guy I'm excited to see I wasn't too familiar with him actually before the draft but I saw him when when they, he was picked at number six and I just did some research on him and I think it's going to be great for, for this OKC team. We'll pair well with Shea. And I think it'll be scary because that's going to be a tall backcourt between Giddy and Shea. Definitely. I mean, I, I'm, I was surprised as well by this. Like, I was familiar with his game, and I like him as a prospect. But for OKC to take him this high and, this, and above, you know, other, other rookies like uh, Kaminga or Davion Mitchell, like more proven guys – just shows that you know their scouts must have seen something and, and must have a lot of uh, a lot of hope in this in this kid. Uh, I, I like him a lot. You know, like six eight point guard from Australia. It really you know the Lamelo comparisons have to start there. You know, he has great court vision. Like you said, he doesn't have a bad shot. Like I'm excited to see how he plays alongside Shea, alongside Lou Dort over there in OKC. Um, and it's just another piece that OKC has that, like, you know, if he becomes – if he's really good, he becomes a star, then, you know, they can – like, the good thing about OKC is they have so many draft assets that they can really just turn the ship around whenever they want and be like, all right, we're going to start buying some – buying some good players, uh, trading for them, rather, and start, like, trying to contend. 
Yeah, definitely. And I'm just going to keep moving down this draft list because there's plenty to talk about here. This is a deep draft. Um, I mean, you can come back if you want, but I'm actually just going to go straight to the number 10 pick in Zaire Williams from Stanford for the the Pelicans. And I think this is a really interesting pick because I think it shows this is going to be their starting shooting guard. This is is who they picked. I mean – Actually, wait, hold on, hold on. Uh, I think that pick was – it was involved in the uh, Jonas Valanciunas, Stephen Adamsoff. So that one's actually. Going oh yeah, to- you're right. My bad. You're correct. Um, never mind then. My comments are completely invalid. I thought they kind of <laughs> made sense, but now the now it's looking kind of bad. We're gonna get to the trades in a bit after this segment. But uh, yeah. if I you have to any- talk about really quick, um, I just wanted to talk about the Warriors because the Warriors were a team coming into this draft with you know two lottery picks, which was great for them. But you wanted, you were wondering, like, are they going to try and trade these picks to get some more proven veteran players? Because if you go for rookies, they're on two different timelines than Steph and Clay and Draymond, you know. But like, and there were rumors that they were trying to shop around the picks and shop around Wiggins, shop around Wiseman, but really didn't find an offer that suited them. And so with the seventh pick, they took Kaminga, um, and with the fourteenth pick, they took Moses Moody, and. I'm actually a very big fan of these picks because I think that Moses Moody, he's a guy who's very proven. He, he's a three and D type guy coming out of Arkansas. Um, he's going to be a, a, just a good role player immediately and doesn't need much development, much coddling to make an impact. And then Kaminga is more of the project pick where he has a really, really high upside. Like he could be a flamethrower off the bench and just light up the scoreboard and provide a lot of, uh, a lot of scoring and a lot of pl- um, shot creation for the Warriors, or he could be really bad. But, you know, they, they went with the route of taking a gamble and also getting a really certified and uh, safe pick. And I, I yeah. think they handled it really well. Definitely. With Kuminga, you have a lot of upside, like you said, with the offensive game. But he definitely needs to work towards his defensive game, which is something the Warriors are already going to be lacking coming into this next season, just generally having – you know, Steph and, and Clay, a weaker Clay, keep in mind, because, you know, coming off both the ACL tear and the Achilles injury, you're just not going to see the same movement that you would typically see out of Clay in that def- the defensive level you'd expect from him. That offense will be there, no question, because that's, I think, won't hinder his game offensively, but the injuries definitely hinder his defensive ability. You saw that in Kevin Durant. So yeah. you're going to definitely need to make up for that, which I think if they keep Andrew Wiggins, he'll make up for that partially. But they need some other guys who can do that. So I think the Kaminga pick has a lot of upside, but that's not where they're getting that defense from. So at first I was a little confused, but it didn't make sense. It seems the best guy on the board. But then once you get to that 14th pick, you see Moses Moody. And I was like, okay, it's all tying together now. This is their pick where they're going in with the defense. And I think this is a great pick for them because they needed – that's what they needed wing defenders that's something that we've been talking about a lot on this pod actually is just the fact that the nba has a severe lack of wing defenders and he could be a guy that might end up like a robert covington in this league definitely and uh you know it it, it makes sense and i'm glad the warriors had a really coherent vision for this draft and hopefully it works out i, I want to see kaminga thrive because he can be a really really explosive scorer if you know it, it all pans out and it works out in the nba um and or he could flame out and not be good. So I'm excited to see that. Um, another guy I want to talk about really quick and another team I want to talk about is Davion Mitchell, who was picked ninth uh, for Sacramento. And 
I like Davion Mitchell a lot. He's a really, really tenacious two-way player. He was great at Baylor, helped lead them to you know, the national championship. Um, but I just, I was really, really perplexed by this fit here. It's similar to um, the situation in OKC, or in Orlando, rather, um, because you already have two great guards in the backcourt. You have De'Aaron Fox and you have Tyrese Halliburton. So where and is then you have Buddy Hield on top of it. Yeah, but I think they're going to move Buddy Hield. So I, I know they're, I know they're shipping Buddy Hield. They're trying to move him, but obviously we'll get to it later. But the Lakers are no longer a destination for him, so they're going to have to ship him around to some other teams. And if if they can't find the right offer, they might end up having to keep Buddy Hield, and then you're stuck with Buddy Hield, Davion Mitchell, Tyrese Halliburton, and De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, so I just I don't understand where like because. De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton are obviously key pillars for the Sacramento team. They worked really well together last season. They're young. They have a tremendous upside. De'Aaron Fox looks like he's going to be an all-star in the, ne- in the next couple of seasons. Um, and then you throw in Davion Mitchell here, who's a guy who is a really great on-ball defender and thrives with the ball in his hand. And the fit just seems so confusing to me. I just don't understand what Sacramento was thinking with this pick. Yeah, it's a classic Sacramento move here. You got to give it to them. You know, they did something that only the Kings could do, which is pick a position that just doesn't make any sense for their team. And to be fair, the next, I want to say, five or six picks in this draft were all guards. So I think that this draft class definitely had more guard depth and the forwards were taken higher up than what they had so I, I think they just went for the best available player but even then it needs to make sense within your system or unless they have a trade already planned out that they know is going to go through but even if you have a play trend that uh, a trade planned out I don't think you want to give up anything in De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton especially since De'Aaron Fox had a breakout season last year and Tyrese Halliburton just proved to you that he is a steal in last year's draft hundred percent. Yeah, I I don't know. Like you said, classic Sacramento. Um, Another pick that really came out of left field for me was this one by San Antonio. So for me, I thought they were going to take the Turkish center. I I can, I'm going to butcher his name again, but Alperin Sagoon, because, you know, uh, international players tend to thrive in San Antonio and especially, uh, you know, big men tend to thrive in San Antonio. So I thought it was a match made in heaven. Or I thought they were going to take uh, Jalen Johnson from Duke, you know, who's a really explosive athlete who str- who doesn't really have a jump shot. But, you know, Sacramento or, uh, San Antonio's player development is so good that I thought that they would love to have him as a sort of project to grow alongside their young core. But then they surprise everyone and they take Joshua Primo from Alabama, who's the youngest guy in this draft class. But it, that one... I really don't know what to make of it. So did you I think it might be like, I think it's kind of like their DeMar DeRozan replacement. Like they're like, all right, we just need a shooting guard to like just make up for DeMar's loss, which like, that's what I took it as. Cause I mean, obviously it looks like DeMar is leaving San Antonio and uh, you know, I think they just wanted to fill that void, which was kind of unlike San Antonio. Usually they're a team that has a process. This kind of seems like a rushed kind of forced move for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm lo- I look at his stats, you know, and they don't really jump off the page. You know, he averaged 8.1 points, 3.4 rebounds on 43% shooting. 
He shot 38% from three and 75% from the free throw line. Um, But those aren't stats that scream lottery pick to me, you know? And I get he's super young, and I guess that has a lot of upside. And he has has great mechanics, great shooting, um, and pretty good shot creation. Uh, But, like, you know, there's so many great prospects, and this class is so deep that even a pick like Moses Moody or – you know, just just another one of the project players, like I said, Jalen Johnson or Keon Johnson. Uh, I think that those would have fit a lot better. I'm, I'm reserving all judgment because I trust San Antonio's player development and I trust their scouting. But that one was just a very, very surprising pick to me. I did not. Yeah, they, de- they definitely had to have been impressed by him in a workout or a combine for him to have been picked. Like, because usually with these young guys, like, even, like, you, you've seen it in guys like Kobe and T-Mac. Like, I'm not comparing him to them. But, like, when young guys come into the league, usually you'll see teams you take chances on them because they really see something special. Yeah, definitely. Like, so That's usually what happens with these young guys, especially if their numbers don't jump right off the page, too. Yeah, he had to have a crazy workout for them. And, you know, he like, Popovich must have definitely seen him fitting in really, really well in their system and, and seen a lot of great potential to become something really great for them to, you know, spend a lottery pick on them. San Antonio is a team that is sort of in that purgatory of like rebuilding, but not really rebuilding and still being competitive. So maybe this is their signal by taking the youngest player that they're going to be like, all right, we're getting rid of the veterans and uh, we're just going to start hitting that rebuild button. Yeah. Definitely. And another player I kind of want to talk about, which I thought was funny, jumping back in the draft a little bit, to number eight pick, you have Franz Wagner, who is the brother of Maurice Wagner, who was a pick for the Los Angeles Lakers, I want to say three years ago, maybe four years ago. Yeah. Um, who was a bust. But it, there, it looks like there's a lot more upside to his brother, who's actually on the same team as him now. They're both on the Magic. Um, not sure if you knew that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but uh, he's been around the league, so I couldn't really keep track of him. Yeah, so they're on the same team together now, um, which definitely is helpful for a young player to like, kind of cement themselves in a team and have somebody to show them the ropes who they already trust and know very well. Um, so it'd be like, here's how you deal with media, here's how you deal with your teammates, here's how to deal with your coaches, and like show him like how to just improve himself and like figure out his role within the team even if his brother isn't, you know, the best player there, or even even if his brother doesn't even have a role on the team, it's still somebody he, he trusts and loves there to help him every step of the way. Yeah, um, definitely. It's going to be interesting seeing that, like, brother dynamic. You know, there's a lot of brother pairings in the, in the NBA now, you know, the Morris twins, the Antetokounmpo bros, the holidays, et cetera, et cetera. So it's going to be seeing another one of them. And I yeah. mean, I wouldn't say Mo Wagner is really a bust. Like he was taken at the end of the first round and he, like he had a good season for Orlando last, last season. He had 11 point, he averaged like 11 points on something like almost 40% from three. So I think that it might've just been one of those, uh, one of those cases where it's like, he just takes, he, he's sort of a late bloomer, takes time to develop, has to find the right situation. And I'm hoping for the best for him and his brother, uh, to, to just thrive in Orlando because they're going to have plenty of opportunity. There's not, they're not contending anytime soon. So 
they could just really grow and develop together. Yeah, I'm not sure if you saw Franz Wagner's pre and post COVID, uh, just like frame. Did you see his body before and after? I I heard he gained like 15 pounds of muscle or something like that. Yeah, it was crazy. You look at the photo and he just looks like a skinny kid. You can't even tell he looks like maybe 16, 15 years old. And then the next photo, he has like a full-on beard and he's ripped. It's kind of crazy. It almost looks like he, he just injected himself with a bunch of steroids. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's really impressive. Uh, you can tell like he has that drive. And I think he's going to be pretty impactful for this team uh, as a forward. So I'm excited to see what he can do. And it's cool to have a new international uh, like pairing of brothers in the NBA since the only other ones uh, in history are actually the Gasol brothers and the Antetokounmpo brothers. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. But this goes to show how international the NBA is getting. Yeah, really cool. Because, I mean, two of these are obviously very recent. And even then, the Gasol brothers aren't very old. You know, this is a a duo that came into the league in the maybe mid-2000s. So, this, they aren't old. Yeah. So just shows NBA getting more and more international, even though the top three picks were all USA players. So at least we have that for now. Yeah. I mean, you're going to see more competitive Olympics every year, huh? A hundred percent. Basketball is just getting more and more global. Which is great. Uh, there are even talks, not to say that this is you know going to happen anytime soon, that but that their talks of possible international games between NBA teams and uh, international teams, just like not even scrimmages, but actual games potentially happening. That'd so be I cool. thought that was interesting. That would be really cool. And I mean, the like if basketball can be promoted to more and more people uh, through whatever means possible, I'm all for it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not sure if you wanted to go over any more of the draft picks that stood out to you. But if not, then we can move on to the trades. Definitely. I mean, so the, there's a lot of interesting picks. And, I mean, we could talk about them all day. But, yeah, I think we can move on to the trades. I might bring up one more pick uh, when discussing one of the trades. Um, but I'll save that for later. So I guess yeah, the first trade I know you're talking talk about. about is Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe for Jonas Valanciunas. And, obviously, uh, there was some trades of the picks. So – Memphis did get uh, New Orleans' 10th overall pick, which they picked uh, – what's his name? I'm blanking. Oh, Zaire Williams. So sorry for – Yes, getting... and I, I believe that the Pelicans also got a pick swap, and the uh, – I think that the Grizzlies also got one of the Lakers' future picks. Interesting. So that's that, – so yeah, so some draft assets being moved around as well, but – I guess the biggest thing is, is what are you thinking, man? Jonas Valanciunas in New Orleans and Steven Adams in Memphis. How do you think? Do you think? I, I can honestly say this is one of those situations where it's like a win-win. Like very rarely can I look at a trade and go, yeah, this is pretty even. But here, this is, this is a, a very even trade. I think both teams get a win here. They each get something they need. I think that Jonas Valanciunas and John Morant were a great pairing. But with the play style of John Morant, and like, was that like that? Is that duo going to get you anywhere? Probably not. I mean, maybe the eight seed, seven seed on a consistent basis, but that's not going to get you much further. So I think 
I think Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe, if anything, with Steven Adams, the addition doesn't change much. If anything, that's a, a slight downgrade because of the uh, ability to spread the, the floor. But in Eric Bledsoe, you get a mentor to a young John Morant. And you also are just getting, I guess, a, not even that much of a difference. Maybe you're getting some picks. So you're, you're just building for the future here, is I think essentially what they're doing. Because they looked at this team and they said, look, what do we have to keep John Morant around? Like, we don't want a situation where he wants out uh, a year or two down the road because we can't get him the support he needs. We're a small market. So they said, okay. We'll tr- get, give away Jonas Valanciunas to get the 10th pick in this draft to build our future. And I think that was a smart move by the Grizzlies. And I think on the same token for the Pelicans, this is a win for them because their biggest issue last year was floor spacing. You can't have Steven Adams and you and Zion Williamson on the floor at the same time. That's just not going to work. So by getting Jonas Valanciunas, you get somebody who's an efficient scorer. Yeah. Jonas Valanciunas is a guy who's not going to take that many shots, but – He's going to score that at a high clip. Yeah, and he can score the three ball at a pretty solid efficiency as well, which I think we're going to see him shoot in more volume this coming season. Yeah, I'm, I'm just very happy for Zion. You know, he doesn't have to be in a paint that's more crowded than a New York City subway. So um, I'm just glad for him that he has a center and that can sort of space the floor now. Um, I think that's going to really improve the Pelicans and – I definitely agree. I think I like this move from Memphis to continue building, you know, not be uh, not be complacent and be like, oh, our young core is good enough. We have slow-mo. We have Jaron Jackson Jr. But to keep trading, keep trying to get new assets, you know, now they have a, a, a project guy in um, – oh, my goodness, I forgot – uh, Zaire Williams, I'm just never yes. going to forget his name right now. <laughs> I, I saw Williams, and I was like, where's the son on that? I was like, are they going to have two Williamsons on the team? <laughs> no. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this, uh, this trade. I think it's a win-win. If I did have to pick a winner, though, I would say it's um, – I would say Memphis won because – actually, I, I will hold off any judgment because we have to see how good Zaire Williams is. If he turns out to be, like, a, a really good player – um, then obviously Memphis will win, but right now no, it, I think great. I thought, I honestly think it's a win-win. I just think that the the Pelicans win for like the current day, and the Grizzlies win in the future. I think it's like uh, the Pelicans are sacrificing their future to win now, even though they're not going to you know be con- in contention for the NBA Finals. They're definitely in the position to be a seed in the playoffs and compete for. Uh, a chance to get there as opposed to the Grizzlies, which I think they're looking more for their future. That's interesting. And I guess if this trade is followed up by some more moves that indicate that the Pelicans want to win now, like they're obviously trying to clear up cap space. If they sign a big name free agent like Kyle Lowry and make more moves to surround Zion Williamson with some talent, then I'll think I'll I'll be more inclined to agree with you and be like, yeah, this is a fair trade. But as of now, I'm going to give the slight edge to Memphis uh, because of how tantalizing a prospect Zaire is um, and just leave it at that. Yeah, absolutely. I understand where you're coming from. But now getting into the trade that everybody's been waiting for, we have a big one, folks. We have Russell Westbrook coming back to his hometown of Los Angeles for Kyle Kuzma, KCP, 
and Montrez Harrell, who opted into his player option. And then you also have the, uh, the okay, sorry, the Wizards getting the 22nd pick in this year's draft from the Lakers, while the Lakers get two future second round picks from the Wizards. Yeah. So just start, what are your thoughts here? I mean, I know this is crazy being an LA fan. Yeah, when the news broke, I was watching the draft and Woj came on live TV and, and said that this trade was official. Obviously, there had been like tweets earlier indicating that this deal was close to happening. But when it broke, I was really, really excited. Um, I don't know if I'm in the minority here, but I think this is, this is a really, really good move. Um, obviously, there were talks to get players that might have fit the team a little bit better, but were less talented. Like those discussions surrounding Buddy Heald, as we mentioned earlier. But I think that in a talent-driven league, you need to get the team with the most talent. And I think that Russell Westbrook is arguably a top five point guard in the league. He had a phenomenal season last year after a slow start, you know, where he really propelled this Wizards teams, this Wizard team that had the, like, that was very, very barren of talent. There was almost nothing there besides Bradley Beal um, and, and took them to the eighth seed. And you're putting him on a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That trio alone is a championship contender. And the, the what this means for the Lakers now is just getting some good complementary pieces, like some shooters, a secondary ball handler to come off the bench, uh, you know, obviously some big men. Uh, but like the, the, the auxiliary pieces don't really matter when your top three is that, that good. It's going to yeah, be... I- I understand where you're coming from, right? But I just want to start with this, which is saying the pieces around them absolutely do matter. This is one of those cases. Usually I'd say it doesn't matter. Like KD, Kyrie, James Harden, doesn't matter who you put around them. They're going to win. This trio is different in the sense that they don't complement each other in the same way that most trios do. I think the Russell Westbrook addition, while I love the addition of talent, no matter what, I think it's just not complementary to the skill set of LeBron in AD. And what I mean by that is all three of these guys need a clear lane. They need a clear paint, which is definitely not going to happen when you don't have anybody to space the floor. And this is an issue that we saw in the past few years with the Lakers, even in the bubble, or even like before the NBA finals, we saw this Lakers team was having issues with their shooting because their shooters were streaky. Obviously, you no longer have KCP, who is your best shooter on this team. So you're giving up shooting to get a guy who is obviously more talented by far, but you're giving up shooting. So, I mean, I know the Lakers know this. So I I trust them and I trust that they are looking to get the right free agents that can increase their shooting because that's what they need. But I'm still worried that they might not get those pieces because every team in the NBA is looking for shooting today. And every team knows now that the Lakers need shooting. So they might even go after those free agents harder because they don't want the Lakers to win because that Lakers always have a target on their back every single year. Um, so the thing is, I'm afraid for the Lakers that if they don't get any shooting, this is really not going to end well for them because you're going to have a very clogged paint because Russell Westbrook isn't a threat at the three. Leave, although LeBron is, he still needs an open lane to facilitate pretty well. And Anthony Davis is going to turn into a spot-up shooter, which we do not want. We want Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis dominating down low, and that's not going to happen if you have a traditional center and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook on the floor. 
That is true. Uh, and you raise a lot of valid concerns. And I am worried about that. But I trust the Lakers front office to get the, the right pieces. In terms of a floor, floor spacing big, we have Marcus Saul still under contract. And I fully expect him to come back because he's a guy who's going to thrive off of the all, all these open looks created by Russell Westbrook and LeBron James. And the fit, you're correct. The fit is a little clunky and it doesn't really make sense and you think about it, you're like, how is this supposed to work? But I'm going to raise you this. You know, people were saying the same thing about Brooklyn when their big three was assembled. Everyone was saying, this is never going to work. You know, there's only one ball. All these three players are very ball dominant players. But guess what happened? These players changed and made the necessary adaptations to work. Harden well, the thing is, a facilitator. I was gonna, what I was going to say there is James Harden made those sacrifices more than anybody else on that team. To make that team work he became a pass first guy like you just said I think with this team I do believe that there are players who are going to make the sacrifices but I think the wrong players are going to be making the sacrifices and what I mean by that is I think Anthony Davis is the one that's making the sacrifices because he has the most passive personality of these three and what I'm scared of is that Anthony Davis is going to turn into the Kevin Love of this team although he's the youngest of them and he's the future of the Lakers and he needs to be the number one guy because he can be but he won't yeah, I mean, that is also – that's a very valid concern. And I could very well see that happening. I could see that happening. But I think there is a way to, to make this work, you know? Like, we talk so much about in the modern NBA about the prevalence of the three and how important spacing is. But you can win without a lot of shooting. I think the Bucks in the finals shot something like 30% from three, and they won the NBA championship. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you need shooting to win. But what I am saying is you need some floor spacing. Even if the Bucks weren't shooting the best from three, they had guys who were on the perimeter that were threats. They had P.J. Tucker. They had Pat Connaughton. They had Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. You need to guard all four of those guys. And they had at least two of them on the floor at all times. So you can't leave them open. But with the Lakers, what they're going to do is they're going to sag on Russell Westbrook. They might sag on AD if AD isn't playing too great from the three. And if you don't have a shooting guard who has that ability to shoot the three, like you're going to be in big trouble because, I mean, they still sag on Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol can shoot the three. But if you notice, he's getting open looks because most big men don't go up to play against Marcus Gasol that high. So you're going to get a very clogged lane where Milwaukee doesn't have that clogged lane because they have other guys in the floor who are threats, although Giannis isn't. Oh, my God. Talking about clog pain, uh, just I'll address what you just said. I was just thinking about imagine if we bring back Drummond and we run a lineup of LeBron, Westbrook, AD, and Drummond and another like shooting. Guard. Probably, pro- probably like THT or Case or or uh, Alex Caruso is most oh likely. <laughs> if it was THT, that lineup might shoot a combined ten percent from three. <laughs> Dude, honestly, I think the Lakers need to be looking at getting a guy possibly like I know he doesn't shoot the three but maybe not a starting guy but I want Avery Bradley back on this Lakers team and I am a huge advocate of Avery Bradley I always have been since he joined the Lakers um he has a a team option and I think that the Houston's most likely going to decline it because it's five million dollars which I don't think they are willing to pay him uh so I'd be really excited to try and see if we can get him back on the minimum contract there are a lot of talks of Carmelo Anthony joining this team there are a lot of talks of some other 
great guys. Dwight Howard might run it back. So I'd be excited to see what kind of free agents we can get. But I'm not hearing a lot of of talk about free agents who can shoot the three-point ball, and that's what's scaring me. Yeah, I mean, that is a little bit disconcerting. Um, I would love Avery Bradley on this team. He would fit so well, fit the identity of the team. One thing that I like about Westbrook and that I don't hear being talked about that much is when Westbrook is locked in, he's a very good defender, actually. And I think that we have sort of lacked uh, last season, like a very, very good defender on the perimeter. And so I think getting that in Russell Westbrook is going to help a lot um, against playoff series against very guard dominant teams. Oh, uh, sorry. I, I just want to mention this because I forgot to mention it earlier. Okay, uh, it. I do want to give credit to the Lakers for this. I'll do, although I'm not the biggest fan of this trade, keep in mind, I'm still happy. We got Russell Westbrook. Like no questions. Like we got a superstar on this team. Like we are a lock for the finals. Like I'm not questioning that at all. I'm questioning. Can we beat Brooklyn? A fully healthy Brooklyn is what I'm questioning. Um, but Back to what I was going to say is the Lakers are not hard capped because of this deal. That is the big number one thing for me. If they went after DeMar DeRozan and Cal Lowry and Buddy Heald and everything else that the people were talking about, they would have been hard capped. They would have been able to sign a limited amount of veteran minimum players. They would have limited money. But by signing this Russell Westbrook deal, they do gain the amount of money they're spending. They gain cap, but they do not hard cap so they can spend more money than they would have been able to with anybody else and that makes me really happy yeah that's really necessary um because we we're going to need some more pieces on this team this team is uh, still not complete as we've been talking about one guy who actually was involved in an earlier trade that's not worth talking about that i honestly think would have been great on this team is landry shamit who is going to be playing in phoenix now after he was in brooklyn I think the Lakers need to be targeting guys like that, guys who have a much lesser role on other teams, um, but who are good shooters, you know, and can just would be fine just catching and shooting and shooting at a high percentage. Uh, We need to be going after guys like that, Avery Bradley, um, and and just those, those calibers of players because they're attainable because they're not really that they don't play huge roles on the teams they're currently on but they would be really, really instrumental uh, to the Lakers team. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're going to end up seeing, uh, I mean, although it's not likely, and I, I think he'll actually probably end up in Brooklyn, but a guy like J.J. Redick, he might be old, but he does the same job every time. Like just a guy off the bench who can give you some three-point scoring. Just like we need those types of guys, even if they're not big names or if they're older guys, just anybody who can give us some sort of production consistently from the three-point line. 100%. I didn't even think about J.J. Redick, but he would also be pretty good on this team. We just need yeah, to... Most, most likely, he's going to end up in Brooklyn. That's where he wanted to be initially before he got traded uh, from the Pelicans, and that's where his family lives, so it's likely he'll sign there. Um, but you can continue your point. Yeah, we'll end up... We'll, we'll have to see what happens with that. I just wanted yeah, to say, I've... on the flip side of this deal, because we've been talking about a lot for the Lakers... What does this mean for Washington, who, you know, giving up Russell Westbrook, getting some younger pieces in Kyle Kuzma, and I guess Montrezl Harrell, if you want to say, um, and getting a pick, another, like, the 22nd overall pick. What does this mean for them, and what does this mean for Bradley Beal's future on the team? Honestly, for me, 
this one was kind of a head scratcher for the Wizards. Not to say that they didn't get good pieces, but you're trading a guy like Russell Westbrook, who is still an incredible guy. He's a walking triple double, and you get back Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell. Like you already know, Montrez Harrell is there. He's looking for his bag for next year. You know that's why he opted into his contract. He knows by playing on a bad team, if he can put up great numbers, he can get his contract next year and be making twenty plus million a year, and you know wearing those gold chains that he always loves to wear. Like that's the kind of guy he is. He's looking for his bag. You know Kyle Kuzma is looking for the ball. He's looking for his bag too. He's saying I'm proving I'm Jason Tatum in this league. Because that's what he thinks he is. Like, honestly, that's who Kyle Kuzma thinks he is. He thinks he's Jason Tatum, and he wants to prove that. Uh, The only one who I think is a solid addition, like, just as a player, like, knows his role, is KCP. But I don't even see where he fits into this team because he's a shooting guard, and you have Bradley Beal. Yeah, this is a, like, head scratcher is a great phrase to use because I just don't see what direction Washington is going in. They're getting all this young talent. And yet Bradley Beal and the Wizards are adamant about not parting ways. There was, uh, coming back to the draft really quick, they drafted Corey Kispert with the 15 overall pick, um, the Wizards did. And Kispert's a guy who's older, who's a shooter. He's going to be like a, a your 3 and D prototypical type guy um, and not really much of a project, indicating that the Wizards are focused on winning now. So I just don't see what they're trying to do on this team. You yeah, have I've guys seen like oh, Beal and I guess like Ish Smith, but then you have a bunch of young talent like Avdia, Thomas Bryant, um, you know, Kuzma now. So I'm just really confused. What are the Wizards doing? Yeah, I've seen reports that what the Wizards are trying to do with this is surround Bradley Beal with new, fresher talent and still make a playoff push which I think is more confusing because I think this team is now worse than when they were at their all-time low, which is the year before they got Russell Westbrook and John Wall was injured. Like, I honestly think this team could be worse than that. Yeah, I mean, like, what is their starting lineup going to be? Like, you're going to start Ish Smith, Bradley Beal? Like, what is happening on this team? Yeah, like, you already know that uh, – sorry – you already know that Montrezl Harrell wants a starting role. This is something he made very clear to the Lakers, and that's why he didn't want to play for them because he knew he wasn't going to get a starting role. He opted in to go somewhere where he was going to get a starting role, which means that you are now starting David Davis Bertans at your center, Montrezl Harrell at your power forward, probably Kyle Kuzma at your small forward, Bradley Beal and Ish Smith. That is an awful defensive team. Like, literally, that team has zero defense. I mean, Kyle Kuzma proved he was a solid defender in the league this year, but that's not what he's there to do. He's there to shoot the ball, and now you're pairing him with Bradley Beal, who's a 30-point-per-game scorer. That's his thing. He's a shooter. And then you're also pairing it with Montrose Harrell, who wants to prove he can do well. All these guys are going to be self-centered except for Bradley Beal. Like, I don't really understand this. They just got a bunch of guys from the Lakers who are very self-centered. Like, this was a very, very big thing with all the drama with the Lakers. Dennis Schroeder and Kuzma not liking each other. Like, this was all very like, self-centered mentality. Yeah. And, like, okay, so, I mean, they would probably start Thomas Bryant at center over Davis Bertans, but still, that doesn't help the defensive. No, e- e- even then, it's, that's even worse. I mean, you're just getting more – oh, my God. This, this is rough if you're a Wizards fan. 
and even more rough considering the fact that there were some really, really good deals on the table for Bradley Beal and would have allowed uh, Washington to really just hit the reset button. You know, you could have. I mean, it's, made a trade. it's not too late. It's not too late to get a deal for Bradley Beal, but I don't think they're going to do it. Yeah. I mean, the time to do it was before the draft. You could have made a trade with the Warriors, gotten Wiggins, the two picks, maybe Wiseman, and like that is a solid package for a guy of Bradley Beal's caliber. You throw in more draft assets, maybe other players, uh, uh, but that package is solid. Or you make a deal with Philadelphia, you bring in Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is a young guy, maybe in this new environment, under less pressure, he starts to flourish again. And you can really just hit the reset button. But instead, this team is not directionless. They don't know what way, what, where they're trying to go, if they're trying to make the playoffs or trying to cultivate young talent. And we're just all left here scratching our heads at what the Wizards are doing. If Bradley Beal isn't traded by the deadline, I will be shocked. Like, I'm, I'm being sincerely honest here. I think this team will have possibly the worst record in the league. Not even because they don't have the right talent, but because the talent doesn't mesh well and they all have a different idea of what they want to be doing. Yeah, it's just overall just very perplexing. And, I mean, I'm not complaining as a Lakers fan, you know. I think we got away with a little bit of a steal. Like, you look at a guy of Russell Westbrook's caliber, and then you look at what we gave up to get him, and you're like, wow, <laughs> we really got away with some robbery right there. Look, to be entirely honest, like, I'm just saying this. As a Laker fan, the Lakers did not want Kyle Kuzma or Montrezl Harrell anymore. So yeah. as, a Lakers, as a Lakers fan, you look at this and say, wow, we just really got Russell Westbrook and two second-round picks for KCP in the first. That's what the, you look at as a Lakers fan. And we didn't that's how I look up. We didn't even have to give up any additional draft assets. We in fact got some draft assets, and we gave, we didn't have to give up THT, who's like our only young asset, basically. Yeah, I was very that. surprised. Honestly, I think the Lakers might have gotten away with this and demanded that they keep THT. I think that's something the Lakers were adamant about, and we might end up seeing Taylor jump into that starting shooting guard role. Um, I'd be very surprised if you didn't see him take a starting role, considering that he is going to get a bag this offseason. Um, enough talk about the Lakers, because we have been talking to them about them so much. Um, this time, I do... justified, though. This time, there's actual news about them, so we could. <laughs> this It's true. Uh, but yeah. we've been talking about them for quite some time. Uh, so let's jump into the next kind of topic. Uh which still involves the Lakers. <laughs> um, but the Lakers pick that the Wizards got isn't even going to them. The Wizards aren't even taking this pick. It's actually going to Indiana. We learned this. Uh, Adam Silver said this during the draft. Um, so we, we're now looking at a team possible trade between Indiana and the Wizards. So what do you think could be going on there? Um, well, I actually just found out like quite recently that they traded the pick to Indiana for Aaron Holiday and the 31st pick. So just seemed like they were okay. picking up uh, nothing too significant there. I think it's the same sort of situation with the uh, the Clippers and the Knicks. Uh, not like no real blockbuster trades, just, just like some moving up and down in the draft boards. Yeah, absolutely. You saw plenty of that tonight. You saw plenty of teams swapping some picks for some future picks. So nothing crazy, but I definitely think you had a very interesting day today. And I think this is going to be a very fun offseason to look at as an NBA fan, not even if you're a Laker fan. Um, I mean, 
there's plenty of other teams out there who are going to have some great, crazy off seasons. And I'm really excited to see what's going to happen. hundred percent. And I'm excited to see which players like are the surprise picks because, you know, every draft has those guys that are picked in the late first round or the second round who really blossom and emerge as really, really good players. You know, we just had a guy in the second round win MVP in Jokic um, and guys, even like last season, I'm thinking about a guy like Emmanuel Quickly, who no one really saw coming and had a phenomenal season. Um, so I'm just excited to see how the rookies play. I'm excited to see the offseason moves. Um, and I'm just, I'm really excited for the future of what basketball has in store for us. Yeah, absolutely. This new generation of basketball players is going to redefine what it means to be an all-star. Honestly, I really do think that the, the new superstar or the new all-star is going to be the old superstar. Like, I think it's, we're getting to that level of talent in the NBA. We are going to have to redefine what it means to be that kind of player because we were talking about that earlier. You're getting younger guys coming into the NBA with all-star caliber talent, but the old talent isn't going away. So you're going to just be seeing new waves of just increasingly high levels of talent. And players who would have previously been called all-stars are now just going to be really incredible role players yeah i mean the the lead, the talent of the nba is only going to grow and expand as these younger players come into the league and as the league gets more global and you know who benefits the most from all this we do as viewers and as lovers of the sport so lots to look forward to and with that i think we can call it an episode and we'll see you all next week Thanks absolutely so thank you for listening All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.